Well, hello, everyone. My name's Steph. I'm one of the pastors here, in case you've not been with us before. Um, I want to just quickly flag up this, our uh, prayer month in January. So we're starting on the 1st of January with our prayer month. So our next big gathering altogether will be in two weeks' time on New Year's Day in the evening. Okay, That's the next time we will be meeting together, all together as a church. will be New Year's Day, 7.30, the 1st of January at Highgate Road Chapel. And that will kick off our month of prayer. And in a nutshell, what we've tried to do is not, not cram loads and loads of extra things in the diary. What we've done is this. We've said that we're going to extend our usual Tuesday morning prayer meeting by half an hour. So instead of 7 till 8, it will be 7 till 8.30. And uh, normally all the teams that are serving gather here on a Sunday to pray for 15 minutes between 10 past 10 and 10.25. We're going to extend that and pray from 10 till 10.30. Everyone's welcome. So if you come to church a bit earlier, that's a way of engaging in the month of prayer. And then there will be something, one thing every, every week that's in the diary, in the midweek, gathering to pray together. So please, you should have had one of these, all the infos on the, uh, on the church website, that people will find it on the website. So the, the info is all to hand. If you haven't got one of these, there, there are some on the Lights No More table. We really want to give ourselves to prayer. We'll be back into our series on prayer on Sundays. So we'll, we'll spend the Sundays in January again back on the subject of prayer. It's so key that we um, engage with this and grow in this because prayer in many ways is the real work of the church. Um, if all we're doing is engaging with the seen element, the seen realm, and ignoring the unseen realm and those realities, then we will end up just becoming an organisation that does stuff. Um, uh, but Jesus said, if you plug into me, you will bear fruit that lasts for eternity. That's a completely different deal. And that's what we want to be about. So we want to we couple activity and practical stuff that we do as a church with fervent, consistent prayer. And we trust that as we do that, that we'll do what we do in the power of the Holy Spirit. And it will make a change, make the kind of changes that simple activity um, can't, can't do by itself. Is that okay? So a month of prayer, January, let's all really engage with that as a church together. Okay, this is always an interesting Sunday to preach on because the carol service has happened. It's like we've peaked our big moment um, of the calendar year. Um, and then this Sunday is a, feels a bit more like a family time, feels a bit more like getting ready for Christmas, feels a bit more like how are we going to do Christmas well? Um, those of us who are disciples, uh, how are we going to do it well? Um, those of us who are here, maybe just looking in, thinking about Christianity, you might be a chance for you to, to, to engage with what a Christian Christmas uh, looks like. And so I want to speak on the subject of contentment today, what it means to be content. Um, so we're going to read from Philippians chapter 4. If you have a Bible with you, please turn to it. If not, it's going to come up here, but it's good to turn to it if you have a Bible with you, because it means that you get familiar. It's a big book, so you get familiar with what's where. And you just get into good habits of, of um, following the scripture. So Philippians chapter 4, this is known as the epistle of joy. It's, 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 it's full of joy. The epistle to the Philippians is a short letter. But Paul, Paul has deep, deep affection for this church in Macedonia. And he's writing to them about all kinds of different things. He gets towards the end and he says this in verse 10. Um, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Now, he's talking about their financial concern. Paul, Paul's, what, what Paul does is he travels around the Mediterranean, starting churches and serving churches. 
And um, he really relies on the generosity of the churches that he starts and the churches that he serves to support him so he can keep doing the work. And so when he uses that term, you've revived your concern for me, he's saying, you've, you've been blessing me so that I can actually give myself to the work of teaching God's word. So it's been a financial blessing. Not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. I think I'll leave it there, actually. I think well, that, that's, that's fine. Tools. We'll, we'll leave it there. I think I'll just read that again, though. I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at length you've revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound in any and every circumstance. I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. So, Father, thank you for these words. I pray that as I speak them, that they wouldn't just be um, clever words, persuasive words. I pray that they would be words spoken under the help and power of your spirit. And as a result of that, Lord, that they would accomplish supernatural things. Amen. So just to give you a little bit more on context, basically what the, the rhythm of the New Testament, when you read the New Testament, you found out how this Christian movement got started. There were certain people called apostles who traveled around uh, the Mediterranean um, with the Roman Empire. And they were not impressive people. They were not um, in any way kind of super, superstars, superheroes. Very, very normal people. Paul had a trade. If no one supported him, he would go back and make tents. He had a trade to support himself. Just a very normal person. But these, these people had been graced by God to start churches, to lay good foundations in those churches, to see local leaders raised up in those churches and then to move on and do the same thing again. And that's the, really the, the feel and the atmosphere of the New Testament. You've got these churches that are very new. Most people have been converted from paganism, some from Judaism. It's a mixture of Jews and Gentiles. There was loads of tension in the churches because of that. Had to work through loads of cultural, religious issues. But really, it was a messy business. So if anyone ever says to you, we've got to get back to the New Testament church, beware. It was really, really messy. It was, it was some really all kinds of difficulties happened. And a lot of the letters that make up the Bible are the leaders writing to the churches, straightening things out, helping them because they've got into difficulty. That's a lot of what is going on there. But these churches were partnered with these apostles. These churches were interested, not just in their own local church, they were interested in seeing new churches started so more people could hear about Jesus, experience forgiveness and new life. And so they loved to support those who were uh, operating as apostles and those with them. So people like Paul and people that worked with him, Silas, Timothy, Barnabas. People like Peter and those who work with him, John, Mark and others. And so that's why we as a church, we are, we are, we are linked with Mike Betts, who's got this kind of grace on him to start churches and, and support churches. That's why we bless and give financially to uh, the movement that's called Relational Mission, which is really serving, supporting Mike and those around him, because we're interested in more than just ourselves. The whole idea of a healthy church is that it's caught up with this idea that everyone gets a chance to hear about Jesus. Now, what they do with what they hear is up to them. You can't force Christianity on anyone. It's an awful idea. But there is a responsibility to tell people because God has broken in with his son. God has come. This God that so many people say, if God is real, why doesn't he show himself? He has. And so we want people to know that. 
And we want to be able to get the word out and tell them so that they can experience the wonder of Jesus. And so that's why we partner in the way we do. That's why we give financially. It's just this, it's a biblical pattern that we've got here. And Paul here commends them. They've been one of the first churches to step up and say, we want to support you, Paul. He commends them. And then he makes some comments on his own personal journey in terms of contentment. And that's what I want to speak about today. So let's look. Verse 11. Let's look at that again. He says this. He says, not that I'm speaking of being in need. For I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. Paul wants them to know, listen, I'm not commending you because if you hadn't given to me, wow, I would have been in real trouble. My life would have gone really badly wrong. You know, he's, he, he, wants to, he wants them to know that he's not relying on them psychologically, emotionally, spiritually. They've got to give him money. Otherwise, woe is me. He said, I want you to know that is not how I live. That's, that's not, that is not a, a model that I want to endorse. That is not how life is for me. I'm not like, oh, you guys, you've really got to give because if not, then what am I going to do? He's like, no, 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 no. I'm not speaking from that place. He says, he's saying, and then he says, I've learned in whatever situation I am to be content. Learning is a process. Something has happened. He's, so over the years, Paul, something, he's been instructed and through walking with Jesus, he has learned something. And it's this, in that whatever situation, it's very comprehensive. Now listen, this is not a man of theory. This man is writing from prison. The, the letter to the Philippians was written by Paul from prison. He's in prison for the gospel. Okay, so if someone's writing this from a, a palace, then you think, oh, fine, it's all right for you to say. He's writing from a prison cell. If someone does that, there's a credibility immediately about someone's. If someone is in prison and they're content, you listen, right? You think, well, wow, something's, something's going on in your heart here. He says, through whatever situation, it's a very, very comprehensive statement. I have learned how to be content. Now, this word content is a fascinating word. It basically means self-sufficient. Or independent. Now we'll dig into that in a minute because that might not sound that Christian at first glance. But it basically means I've, 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 I'm self-sufficient. What it means is, is that I, I've learned how to be s- s- sufficient apart from circumstances. I've learned how to be somehow supplied regardless of what's going on around me. Whether, whether I'm in a, in, a, in a really easy season or a really tough season, whether I've got loads or I've got little, I, something has happened inside of me where I've learned how to be well supplied regardless of what's going on. Whoa. I mean, that is, that's quite a statement. That's a huge, huge thing to say. He's learned how to find in himself what he needs independent of circumstances. Whether he's laid low in a dungeon or whether he's, whether he's um, speaking to kings, which he did. He's learned not to find there or there. He's learned to find in himself something which enables him to operate independently of those things. What a place to be. What a place to live. But he said, I've learned it. It's not like, come on. No, I've learned it. I've, I've walked through some things and I've learned it. Let's dig into it some more. Verse 12. I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I've learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I've learned the secret. I know how to abound. I know how to be in need. I know how to be brought low. What Paul is saying here is that there is a peace that he lives with. 
there is an inner, what, what might we call it? Because it's not stoic. It's not like I am now removed from reality and whatever happens does not affect me. No, throughout his letters, you find weeping, you find rejoicing, you find longing, you find affection, you find temptation. He is fully engaged as a human. This isn't some kind of, kind of I don't know, kind of Eastern mysticism where you try to remove yourself and you become, kind of, it's like, or like a Greek stoicism where you become somehow, you're not bothered by anything, but everyone frankly looks on at you and thinks, I don't want to be you. I don't want to be that guy. It's kind of there's a glazed look. There's no sense of actual real humanity engagement. There's no sense of genuine human uh, affection, frailty. With Paul, you get all of that fully human. And yet he's saying there's, there's, there's something that I've learned whereby I can, I can be well supplied regardless of what's going on. Oof. Some people struggle with plenty. Some people struggle with need. Paul says, I've learned how to do both. Some people naturally by their temperament are ascetic. That means the less they have, the happier they are. Other people are the opposite. The more they have, the happier. Where are you on that spectrum? Maybe you're in the middle. I'm the ascetic side. When I was 22, I had a bag that was about, it was smaller than the size of this. And my aim was to fit all my worldly possessions in there. And then I got married and Davina wouldn't fit in there. But that's fine. But that was literally my aim. For me, that was like, I mean, some of you are thinking, what, what the heck? Others of you are thinking, yeah, I love that. Less is more. That's just a tem- It's not right or wrong. It's a temperament thing. We're made differently. It's just, I like something about that. I can just, in a moment, grab my satchel and go on the next 007 Christian mission thing. It's just something appealing about it. Other people, it's like, no, they, they like stuff. You know, people who like stuff, they just love things and stuff. And it's, again, it's just, it's not, I'm not, it's not a moral one's right, one's wrong. It's a, some people, they just, they got, their, they got their bits and bobs around them. And they got, oh, I got this and look. And it's just, it's just we're, made, we're different. We're put together differently. Okay. Paul says, but, there, but Paul says, actually, I've got to a place where I can do either. I can do either. And actually, often for those ascetic types who, who, for whom less is more, there's actually quite, something quite important in learning how to, to know how to abound. When there's things, when there's stuff, when there's possessions, when there's money, there can remain a peace. You don't panic. For those who like their stuff, that, that there's something for them to learn in God that when there's not the amount of stuff they'd like, or when their stuff gets flooded or burned or whatever, that actually their world doesn't come crumbling down. So even though those preferences, there's no right or wrong moral spiritual thing to them, there's something about what happens in the heart that is very meaningful, moral, spiritual. And Paul is saying, I've learned how to do this and how to do this. He's learned something. Plenty doesn't drive him mad with guilt. He can do plenty. Plenty doesn't make him forgetful of God. He can do, he can abound and still worship and thank God. Plenty doesn't quench his spiritual appetite and just make him satisfied with temporary things. Likewise, lack doesn't drive him mad with discontent. Lack doesn't make him resentful of God. 
lack doesn't quench his spiritual appetite. He is somehow in some deep way removed from these things. He's internally, this is the key, he's internally able to take it or leave it. There's something's happened inside him where he may still have his preferences, but he can take it or leave it. He's not enslaved. He's not under the mastery of little Olak. He's not under the mastery of circumstances. He's anchored somewhere else. He's not anchored externally. He's anchored internally. Verse 13. Sorry, the end of verse 12. I've learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. There's a secret. That word there, it talks about... um, Let me find the definition of that for you. It's about being initiated into the mysteries. That's what the word implies. That there's something mysterious here. There's something beyond just what we can naturally do. He's been, he's been let in on it. He's been let in. And Paul, Paul loves to use this language of mystery about the gospel. He says something's been revealed that was before hidden. Something's been revealed. So there's something, there's something in the gospel that's to do with this contentedness. There's something gospel about it. There's something about it. So verse 13, he says, here's the key now. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. So now we realise that actually what Paul isn't saying is, is that I've searched for the hero inside myself and I've found me. And I can do it. That's not what he's saying. Right? This, isn't, this isn't self-help. This isn't believe in yourself. This isn't look for the inner divine. This, this isn't that. This is a different thing. I need to labour that because, because it's important to say it very clearly because that is very, quite a strong storyline in our culture. I'm saying this is a different thing. Okay? This isn't just get still enough so that you can connect with the inner divine consciousness. It's not that. It's not Christian. The Bible doesn't teach that. Okay, something else. I can do all things through him. There's someone else. There's someone else operating internally. So it's internal, but there's someone else operating internally that's strengthening him. That's the dynamic. That's what's going on there. He is being supernaturally strengthened to do this. He has the spirit of Christ living in him who's strengthening him. And I want to just explore that for these next few minutes. The biggest enemy that the Bible points to that we face is our own evil desires. It's the biggest enemy. The Bible repeatedly, New Testament talks about these, whether it uses the word fleshly passions or evil desires or covetousness. It's basically the same idea that all of us have these desires inside of us that if they were to be displayed on the screen, we would hang our head in shame. All of us. Okay? It's just being fallen human. Okay? It's not like, oh, you do and I don't do it. We all do. All of us are made of the same stuff. And it's rooted in this lack of contentment. I want this. And it can drive people to do things that they never thought they would do. Whether it's for money, nothing wrong with money, but the love of money, there's a lot wrong with. Whether it's respect, people do the most terrible things because they feel disrespected. Whether it's for a claim, whether it's for pleasures, whether it's for someone's car, someone's boyfriend, someone's house, someone's lifestyle, someone's physique, someone's looks. People get driven wild and crazy by these things. And no matter how much they point on the outside, well, you shouldn't have been showing off so much. There was something inside that's the real problem. (laughs) Well, they flaunted it. 
Yes, but what happened inside of you? That's the real issue there. And the world we live in only adds to it. In fact, the Bible, the way the Bible describes the kind of age we live in, it talks about the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, these things, we, these things that we long for. So we're in an environment that's telling us you need more. If you just get that, then it will be sorted. If you can just have that, then you'll be okay. And um, you'd thought we would have learnt by now. I mean, you know, you thought we would have learnt by now. Goodness me. If you just look at the popular magazines that come out and the things that they are telling us that we need, it's like, well, you told me you needed that last year and you had the 50 secrets to it. So I'm sure people must have bought it. So why do we have to learn it again? You know, I mean, it's just, it's, it's cycles and cycles and cycles of basically just saying, hitting, hitting the sense of longing that we all live with and, 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 and locating it into a false thing that won't satisfy us and saying, here's the secret. Here's how you get there. Um, and the Bible says that the devil's behind that. The whole world lies under the sway of the evil one. So the devil's pulling the strings on this kind of mentality of you must have, I must have more. And that, that kind of, the, the evil longings inside of me are, are really tempted by that. So you've got this concoction of enemies going on. And then Christmas comes along and it's like, oh my goodness, Christmas is just like, well, let's ramp that up. <laughs> let's just really go. I was in Westfield yesterday. It gradually became Armageddon as the, as the day went on. I texted Davina, yeah, it has become Armageddon, you know. And it's just like, you know, I mean, I, I don't mind Westfield. You know, it's, it's, I don't mind it. So I'm not, I'm not going to attack in Westfield. It's all right. But I mean, you know, just the sense, the sense of what I must have and the promise that comes with it. This is what it will do. It's just powerful. You know, it can be heady stuff. It can be really heady stuff. You see someone who, who looks like the kind of person you always wanted to be. And it turns out that because they bought that baseball cap, that happened. You know, you, you can be drawn into that. You know, it sounds crazy. But if you couldn't be drawn into it, it the, the adver- people would not spend millions on advertising. It's seductive. Holds up a picture of, 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 of the very kind of you you want to be and says, this is what, all it takes is just to buy these clothes or have this and you'll be this. And, you, and it's, a, it's a promise. It's a promise that you put faith in, right? <laughs> it's very much like Christianity. It's just a different promise, different source. It's a promise you put faith in it and you invest time and money and energy into becoming it. And then you think, why is it so empty? It's built on a lie. It's just built on a lie. And, and, and Christmas can make it hard because for those of us that are perhaps less mature, it can be about the presents. I really want to get that. If I don't, it's going to be awful. I'm sure most of us have grown out of that. Who knows? <laughs> but it can be other stuff that becomes more subtle as you get more mature. Like It can be things like the ideal package of perfect home at Christmas. That's a big one, isn't it? Perfect home at Christmas. Disney or America or whoever's told us, this is it. You know, and If you don't have that, then boy, you know, your life's a mess. Your life's a joke. What have, what have you become? You're a waster. Powerful stuff. Perfect home, perfect. Uh, you must be married and it has to be perfect. Because how can you have an open fire and sing those carols if you're not married and if it's not perfect? You have to have kids and they must be perfectly obedient and must be willing to sing carols with you around the fire, <laughs> even if they're teenagers. I've tried, it doesn't work. Everything just so, but you know, it's actually toxic. It's actually toxic because it kind of sets up these things that promise life to the full and then they often don't work. And when they do, they don't bring life to the full. You think, well, what happened there? 
Paul has found something different. I want to just quickly end by looking at how can and how does Jesus strengthen him? And how therefore will he strengthen those of us who, like Paul, were looking to follow Jesus? Firstly, the reason why Jesus can strengthen us to live this way is because he lived this way. There's nothing worse than someone telling you how to do it is not doing it themselves, right? So <laughs> I apologise. Right, but Jesus... Jesus does it perfectly. So even things like, you know, the incident with the perfume, woman comes in, Mary b- breaks the perfume and, 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 it's, and it's all on his feet and she's anointing him with it and, 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 and the perfume is worth a year of wages and the scent fills the room and Judas is looking on saying, that could have been used for the poor, that money. Jesus knows how to abound. He knows how to abound. He says, you'll always have the poor with you. And if anyone loved the poor, it's Jesus. He says, you will, you will always, have, you will always have the poor with, me, with you, not so me. She's anointing me for burial. She's done a beautiful thing. What she said will be told about around the world. He knew how to abound. He wasn't stuck in some strange poverty mindset. He knew how to do that thing. When, when, when the prostitute came in and... He's having a meal with religious people and she weeps because she just senses his love and forgiveness and washes her feet, his feet with her tears and wipes his feet with her hair. And that guy, that religious guy is sitting on thinking, doesn't he know what kind of woman she is? He, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus will not allow himself to be overcome by that. He won't allow, he won't allow that thing to get into him and cause him to be gripped by fear and defensiveness. No, actually, well, he, he, just, he actually just puts it back on the guy that he's self-righteous. See why? Because he's existing, he's, he's in some way, he's internally anchored in the Father. Right? He's not, look, oh, do, you, do you approve of me? He's not, that's not how he's living. So it's not getting into his spirit. He just puts it back on him. You didn't wash my hands or kiss me when I came in. She's not stopped kissing me. See, Jesus understands these things. He's, he, 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 he sees a tax collector become a disciple and then goes around to his house with his friends for a party and his friends are sinners, despised people and he gets the reputation of being a friend of sinners. This terrible, terrible thing. You think, oh Jesus, how are you going to cope with that? He says, well, I didn't come for the righteous. I came for the unrighteous. He says, it's not the, the health you need a doctor, it's the sick. He's just, you think, what, what is happening there? He's refusing to allow he, who he is internally to be rocked and knocked by the opinions of others. This is, this is what Paul is talking about. This is the same thing here. You can just keep going on and on and on and on and on. He walked it perfectly. He himself was poor, pretty much, but he made many rich. And yet, actually, even though he was poor, actually, there were some rich women, influential women that were part of the disciples who, who helped to provide for him. He's able to just live and walk that quite complex thing, actually. Walk it peacefully. He knew what he should give himself to. He, he was single and yet steeped in rich community. He was, he was resolute and firm. He was not restless and jittery. He was able to be alone and able to be in crowds. He, 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 why? What's going on? Because his world, he had an internal world. There was an internal world in Jesus that kept him safe from, from, from circumstances overwhelming him. That's what Paul's talking about here. So number one, Jesus walked it. Number two, Paul, and if you're a disciple, you are in Jesus. See, there's nothing worse than someone who's really good at something telling you how to do it, but then you know you can't. 
That's not good news. That's just, it's just discouraging, isn't it? Someone's really good at something, and they say it's easy. You think, well, it's easy for you. I used to have a neighbour. He's a great mechanic. He, he did, he, you know, the guys that would take their car apart for fun on a Saturday. And, and by midday, it was put back together again. And you're, you're there still trying to get the wheel off five hours later, you know. And he would say, it's easy. It's not easy. <laughs> it's really not. And you, sometimes you can, when people are really good at something, you think, oh, just, I don't want to know. <laughs> it's just too, it's too demoralising. Actually, what Jesus does, he doesn't just teach us and instruct us, he takes us into himself. When we come to him and put our trust in him, he takes us into himself and he says, do you know what? Everything that I am and everything that I've accomplished, I'm just going to invite you into it as a gift. So actually, what we're going to do, we're going to start you off as a winner. All right? Yeah? We're going to start you off as blameless, forgiven. We're going to start you off as brand new. We're going to just, we're going to just wipe the slate clean, start this whole thing again. You know, seriously? Yeah. What's that? It's called the gospel. All right? It's good news. All right? I am amazing and I'm amazing for you, to you. I, I want to make you glorious again. So come into me. And we hide in him and, and, we're, and, and we're able in that place of safety in Christ to just get the shame and all the guilt washed off. So we can, okay, right, all right, we're in a good place now. We can, we're in Christ. That's the phrase. In, this is the uniqueness of the Christian faith. It's not about, come on. It's about he has done it. We publish the good news. He has done it. And he welcomes it. All, all who will bow the knee, all who will admit, yeah, busted. I'm a sinner and I need to forgive him. Uh, uh, all who will can come as they are. And if they will turn from that darkness to Jesus, they will be forgiven and made brand new in an instant. That's the gospel. That's why it's good news. And then what is true of him becomes true of us in a moment in the sense that from the moment of conversion, God declares you justified. And then you go on that journey, that gradual journey of transformation in, into, his, into his image. And he teaches you. Paul said, I've learned. We learn. Okay, I'm learning. So, so, and then finally, secondly, us in Jesus. Finally, Jesus in us. His spirit indwells us. His spirit teaches us the emptiness of the world's promises. If we will listen, his, his spirit will say, that's, that's a, that promise there, that's a duffer. That, don't, don't do it. That's not gonna, that he's not going to fulfill. If we will be humble and listen to the voice of the spirit, we will be kept from many dead ends over Christmas time. <laughs> many, yeah, you might have a, moment, you have a moment or two of loneliness and sadness and melancholy or whatever your thing is or utter frustration with your family. Who knows what? And you start dreaming up different realities, this, that and the other. The Holy Spirit would gently, if you will let him, will say, come on, let's not go down there. Let's stay engaged with reality. <laughs> let's, let's, stay, let's come on. Let's, let's teach you contentment here now with what you've got. Because trust me, if you cannot find it in Jesus now, you'll never find it in him. If you can't find it in Jesus with your current circumstances, what makes you think when that changes, you will? You won't. You won't. You won't. And so, hallelujah, praise God, we're all on level ground. Jesus is offering himself to us so sufficiently now to find contentment in him. And he is so sufficient to bring it. He is working his likeness into us by his spirit who indwells us. And he, is, he convicts us. Will you allow the Holy Spirit to just convict you when you start being a bit of a, you know... <laughs> Over Christmas, you know, if you start going down there in your heart, in your mind, in your actions, and the Spirit just gently nudges you, saying, Come on, let's not do this. This is not going to lead to life. Will you let Him and just reel it back? Say, Lord, teach me faith, trust, peace again. Are you willing to be taught? Are you willing to learn? Paul said, I've learned. Are you teachable?
Will you let the Spirit teach you? Um, so it starts with the reality of your situation, a sense of rest and peace in Christ, regardless of, regardless of what you are in now, regardless of what Christmas may bring. <laughs> this is what God wants to do for us. Amen. 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 Isn't Jesus good? Yeah. Isn't Jesus good? There is a. I just I want to end by just saying in terms. I mean, the band to come up. We're going to respond in song, and we're going to we're going to break bread. Um, so we, after, after the, the sermon, we, we break bread together. Because um, what, what, what we recognize is, is that even though it sounds like foolishness to some people, the Bible even says that, it sounds like a crazy idea. The reality is, is, is that at the cross, that's the place where the power of God was released for our salvation and for our restoration and for our being made whole. And what we do, when we take the bread and the wine, when we go and do that... Please don't do it if you're not a believer, because it's not magic. It won't just do something. But if you are a believer and you take it in faith, there is grace given. So every time we break that bread, we remember in Jesus, your body was broken. Because of your brokenness, I've been made whole. So powerful. It's so powerful. And when I put that bread in my mouth and I'm just chewing it over and I'm just aware this, 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 this bread is being... You know, just kind of dispersed into, in, into pieces. I just you think, oh, gosh, Jesus, you've done such an amazing work of restoration in my life, in so many of your lives that I know. And it all comes back to the cross. Because all, all the, the source of all the brokenness, he deals with at the cross. Our sin, our willfulness, our kind of, I want to do it my way, all of that. He deals with it at the cross. He takes it on himself and the, and the punishment for it. So we can be forgiven. And in the blood, is, it symbolizes the, the poured out, well, it's, it's the poured out life of, of Jesus. And, 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 and Jesus said, through this, through my, my blood being poured out, is the forgiveness of sins. It's forgiveness, what a gift. What a gift to know that, to know that there's, you're not, you haven't got to hide anything anymore. You can walk in the light. Just re- literally, as you are, you can be in the presence of God because of the blood of Jesus poured out. Isn't it extraordinary? That's why we take the bread and wine. That's why we do that. And remembering that we are, his, we are his body. We are his body. And his body was broken for us to make us his body. And together we do that. So we'll take that. We'll, 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 we'll remember. We'll receive fresh grace as we do that. And then I want to ask you as you do that, please don't get into long, long, very long praying and kind of counselling and stuff. Please don't do that. Because we, we do love to gather back to just end with a song. And it's quite hard. We feel quite bad sometimes interrupting your prayers. And um, we feel even worse when you ignore us. So please, please bless us. Please let's work together. And for this first song or so, let's do that. And then, but let's, please, please, please do gather back because it's great to be able to end the service together, singing as one man. Amen? Yeah. Amen. Why don't we stand to our feet? And uh, I want to just lead us in a prayer, which is basically for those of you who you, you're just saying, you know what, Jesus, I want to let your spirit teach me over this Christmas time. I want to learn more about this being content with little or with a lot. Whatever your Christmas is going to look like, actually none of us know for sure, but whatever you're thinking, what's ahead of you, I want to just lead you in prayer. So Lord, thank you for your patience with us. Thank you for the incredible way you work in us. It's not, it is almost invisible, but we know it. We know you're at work. We feel it. It's extraordinary. And I pray, Lord, for all of us that you, we, would, we would be a humble, teachable people. We wouldn't be stiff-necked. We wouldn't be proud. 
we'd allow you, Lord. We'd allow you to restore your image in us. Bring back the glory, Lord, in us that we lost through the fall, that you'd be restoring that glory in us. And that would be a blessing to those that we are with this Christmas. Our friends, our family, colleagues, neighbours, we'd be a blessing, Lord, because we're living out of a rich place inside. We're not looking here or there for people to validate us. But Lord, we're in your presence and we're knowing your love and your, your grace. And from that place, Lord, we can be a blessing to others. So help us in it, Lord, and help us to give time to you, Jesus, over this season, intentional time. Help us, Lord, not to be foolish and neglectful of the means of grace you've given us. Help us to take time to pray. Help us to take time to be in the word. Help us, Lord, to take time to fellowship where we can. And the Lord, we would be just the wise people. We'll come back refreshed, I pray. We'll come back refreshed, not worn out. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen.